So Paul has brought us to the end, and for 11 chapters of, a Roman, of Romans, from chapters 1 through 11, he has expounded on God, who God is. He's expounded on man, on sin, on judgment. He's explained deeply the truths of salvation, justification, sanctification. He's expounded on so much great theology. And then based upon all of this theology, we came to Romans 12.1. And, and I'll read that right here. Therefore, in light of all that I've spoken about, all the theology and doctrinal truths that I've shared, therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God. And this is the key, which is your spiritual service of worship. Presenting of your body as a sacrifice to God, this is how we worship God. And from that verse forward up till now, and it's almost the last third of the book, Paul has been explaining and expounding on how do you worship God by presenting your body as a sacrifice to him. It is how do we worship God. And I hope that as we've taken these last two months, so this is the eighth lesson, so these last two months have we, as we've walked through, that that has been unfolded for you a little bit. I know um, it, it, it definitely has for me. We've looked at um, the reality of how we present our body as a sacrifice to God. It involves renewing our mind. It's living a life of self-sacrifice, even amongst the body, as we serve them with our spiritual gifts. It's living a life of love, unhypocritical. What does unhypocritical love look like in the life of a believer? He's talked about how we overcome evil. What is the godly biblical response to evil that is brought upon us? He's talked about submission to our government. He's talked about putting on Christ. He's talked about when the day is dawning, when Christ's day is coming, that we put on the armor of light. We put on Christ and live now as though the day is already here. And we looked last week about the living sacrifice being living and dying to the Lord in all areas, in all aspects, whether we eat or whether we don't eat, it is all for the glory of God. And how do we live in the body of Christ in light of that? And so now we're coming to the end of his letter, and it's the end of our study. I hope it's not the end of our individual studies, but at least gathering Saturday mo- or Sunday mornings, this is the end of our study on how we present our lives to God as a sacrifice. And so Paul has, he has described and explained this is what this life of sacrifice looks like. And now what we're going to find as we pick up in the second half of chapter 15, 
And this really is going to go through the end. So through chapter 16, he's going to even go from describing and explaining, and he's going to start showing. He's going to show what it means in his own life and in his own ministry to live in this way. So from chapter 15, verse 14, and you can start turning there in your Bible. That'll be the first place that we read from. So from uh, chapter 15, verse 14, until the end, Paul is speaking of his own ministry. He is showing that the living sacrifice that we as believers are to live and offer to God, it is a life that is full of ministry ambition. And we're going to see, and I put this at the top of your handout, um, this would be the thesis of, of this lesson today. If you were to say, what is the main point? I hope that we would walk away and understand, and I'll read this. It says, God worshiping self-sacrifice, it must include dedicating your life to personal ministry. This is what we need to walk away from here believing. And I think this is what we will see as evidenced in Paul's life. God worshiping self-sacrifice, it must include dedicating your life to personal ministry. And we're going to do this by looking at seven traits that um, must be lived out to have a life of self-sacrificing ministry ambition. So I'm going to read this again because there's moving parts, but I saw nothing else I could pull out (laughs) of this sentence. So it's going to be seven traits that we must live out to have self-sacrificing ministry ambition. That is what we want in our lives. We we want to have a life of self-sacrificing ministry ambition. So we're going to walk through these. I'm, I'll, give you, I'll give these to you as, um, as we get to them in the text. But let's start with a word of prayer, and then we're going to dive in. Our God and Father, we pray that you would use your word this morning in our hearts to teach, reprove, correct, to train us in righteousness so that we individually would be thoroughly equipped for ministry here amongst your church that you have placed us. We pray that your spirit would speak to our hearts through your word. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So these seven traits that we must live out, what, the way we're going to do this, we're going to actually come to this passage in, in two different runs. There's going to be two different waves. The first wave, we're going to have everyone put their seatbelt on, and we're going to go through, um, re- really it's going to go all the way through ver- um, uh, in, into chapter 16, but it's going to be walking through these two chapters at a very brisk pace, looking at these seven um, qualities, these seven traits that Paul emulates and, and, or that Paul shows so that we can emulate them. So we're going to walk pretty quickly through them. And then what we're going to do is we're going to come back and circle back and spend um, a, 
probably about half of our time looking specifically at verses 20 and 21. And so, um, wave one, we're going to go pretty quickly, and then you've got a bigger gap for notes on, um, on verses uh, 20 and 21, and this is, this is going to be where we come, we come back and camp out and spend a little bit more time. So, let's go ahead and start reading in Romans 15, verses, starting in verse 14, and this is where we're going to show that personal ministry is a gift of grace. Personal ministry is a gift of grace. So read along with me. But I myself am also convinced about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, having been filled with all knowledge and being able to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me by God. For me to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So, even though, and if you think about this letter that Paul has written and spent so much time expounding to, he is writing this letter to a church that he has never been to. He had no part in planting the church of, of Rome, but at the, same po- at the same time, even though this is not, you know, you could say his church or his, his planting, he has the confidence to write boldly on some points, as he was saying. I, I, I have boldly written to you on some points. And verse 15 tells us why does he have the confidence to write boldly and, or strongly to this church that he didn't have a a hand in planting. It says, because of the grace that was given to me by God. And what was this grace? Verse 16, to be a minister of Christ, of Christ Jesus, to the Gentiles. Ministering as a priest, and what does a priest do? He offers sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. And so he would be ministering as a priest, as a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, so that my offering to the Gentiles may become acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So he would describe the ministry that he has that has been a gift of grace given to him, it is to represent Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And what I am going to be doing, as Paul would say, is to bring the gospel from Christ to the Gentiles, and that is what is going from God to man, but then from the Gentiles to God, the offering that is being offered back up to God are the very Gentiles themselves. As a priest, I am presenting to God this offering of the Gentiles that the Holy Spirit has sanctified. This is the role that Paul is filling, and he calls it a gift of grace that is from me to God. And this lines up with the way Paul has described his ministry throughout all the, a lot of different epistles. In Romans, um, in the book of Romans, in chapter 1, 
um, verse 5, and then also in chapter 12, he talks of the grace of God um, that was given to him in, his, in this ministry. But this is the same things that, or the same way that he refers to it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Galatians 2, and then in the book of Ephesians in chapter 3, a couple different spots, um, there's reference to his ministry to the Gentiles as being a gift of grace. And that's even just a sampling. That's not an exhaustive list. Um, What we find, though, is Paul recognized that it was the grace of God that he is who he is. He's the Gentile. I mean, he's the apostle to the Gentiles. And you could say, why is this a ministry that is a gift of grace from God to Paul? Well, think about how it started in Acts 9. He was imprisoning and putting to death the believers by a gift of grace. God saves him. He knocks him off of his horse. He did not kill him in judgment, which he absolutely could have, did, could have done, but rather he made him his apostle. It is a gift of grace. Having reconciled Paul to himself, he then says, I will use you as a tool in my ministry of reconciliation, bringing the Gentiles to me. And we see in 1 Corinthians 15, in verse 10, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God within me. So it's the grace of God, both that he has his ministry, but it's also the grace of God that allows him to labor more than all the rest. From beginning all the way through through to the end, Paul's ministry is a gift of grace. Therefore, he works harder than all the rest. But even the working is a gift of God's grace within him. And we see this playing out in our lives as well in 2 Corinthians 5, and I referenced this earlier, but in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, I would go ahead and jot that down, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, because this is where we find ourselves that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation, the old is gone, behold, new things have come, we're familiar with this, but in this passage, it says that he has reconciled us to himself, and then after reconciling us to himself... He has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And now, having received that ministry of reconciliation, our ministry is to bring those who are his enemies in reconciliation to God, just as it had been happening to us, or just as happened to us, and he calls us his ambassadors. And now, as ambassadors, we beg you, we plead with you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The call of salvation that Paul received is the same as ours, where we're reconciled to God, and then we are given the ministry of reconciling others to God, and we are now his ambassadors begging and pleading with others to be reconciled as well. This is so clear in both Paul's ministry, but it's also in ours as well. Personal ministry is a gift of grace. It's not a burden. It is a gift of grace from God to us. 
But the second trait that we must live out to have self-sacrifice, self-sacrificing ministry ambition is personal ministry must be grounds for boasting in God. Personal ministry must be grounds for boasting in God. Read with me, starting in verse 17. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not be bold to speak of anything except that which Christ has brought about through me, leading to the obedience of the Gentile by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem all the way around, as far as, as, far as Elycrium, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. The question that we can pose is, what is the only realistic response that we can expect from someone who understands that they are a minister by the grace of God? It's not (laughs) that we would think highly of ourselves. It's not that we would boast in in, in ourselves. The only reasonable response that we could expect would be there to be boasting in what God has done. And look at what Paul has said. He says in verse 17, it's boasting in the things pertaining to God. Why is it boasting in things pertaining to God? Because in verse 18, he says, Christ has brought about the obedience of the Gentiles. It's not me. It's not my work. All the working that I did where I was working harder than all the rest, that's not me that has brought that about. Christ is the one who has brought about the obedience of the Gentiles. And we see the same thing if you flip over a page to chapter 16 at the very end. What, what is he talking about when he says the obedience of the Gentiles? In verse 26, right at the end of the book, this same idea is used where he talks about the obedience of faith. And this could be both and the obedience of having faith, obeying by turning in faith, but it also can be the obedience that accompanies your faith that you have. So you could think of one as the obedience of the call, be reconciled to God, and then obeying with faith. But it, but it also accompanies that Ephesians 2.10, that having been saved by grace through faith apart from works, that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk with them. And so going back to chapter 15, we see that Christ has brought about the obedience of the Gentiles, both obedience to faith as well as the obedient life that accompanies the faith that they have received. So regardless, what we know is that Christ brought about both the faith and the obedience of the Gentiles, and that is worthy of boasting in Christ. So, and and as we keep going through, um, if you notice in the um, second half of verse 16, this obedience of faith in the Gentiles 
Where did it come from? Well, we know it came from Christ, but in, in verse 16 it says, So that my offering to the, of the Gentiles may become acceptable, having been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Christ brought about the obedience, but the Holy Spirit brings about the obedience. The Holy Spirit, God, is worthy of boasting. In verse 18, we find that Paul is an instrument that is being used. This is something. Can you believe what God is accomplishing through me, the very one who was his enemy? God is accomplishing this in verse 18, where he says, what Christ has brought about through me. Can you believe what he has accomplished even through me, his former enemy? It was through the word He's brought it about through his preaching. It's through his deeds, through the work that he has done, even working harder than all the rest. He's brought about through the signs and wonders and mighty works. These, th- these are the, the signs of apostolic authority. And you can just write, on your, uh, write out there if you'd like, 2 Corinthians 12, 12. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says that Um, The signs of the true apostleship are signs and wonders and mighty works. And so it was through these signs, the affirming signs of Paul's apostleship of Jesus Christ, that this was accomplished. And it was accomplished through Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Verse 19, he says, it was in the power of the Holy Spirit. And not only were all of these true, but look at how effective his ministry was as well. In verse 19, so that, and I'm going to paint a picture in your mind, so I want us to think of the map of the Middle East right here, okay? So that from Jerusalem, so if you have your map here, and over here is Spain, so the Atlantic Ocean, and over here is Israel, so this is going to be the ocean, right? So from Jerusalem all the way around through Asia, you're going to keep going through Macedonia, past Greece, and right when you get to the boot of Italy, this is Illyricum. Illyricum is right, you could think of the cusp of the boot of Italy from Jerusalem through the entire Roman Empire up to Italy, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. That is effective ministry, and this is accomplished from God. One man fully preaching the gospel of Christ up to that point, praise God, Boast in God for the effectiveness of my ministry. One commentator said, speaking of this right here, said, Paul could say that he had completed the preaching of the gospel from Jerusalem to Illyricum only because this statement would have meant for him that the message had been proclaimed and churches had been planted in each nation, north and, w- north and west, across Asia Minor, Minor, the Greek Peninsula, and proclaimed widely enough and planted firmly enough to ensure that the name of Christ would soon be heard throughout its entire borders. 
This is effective ministry. And why is it that that is worth boasting in God? Well, Paul's theology tells him in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that I planted Apollos waters, but who causes the growth? It's God. So neither the planting or the, the watering is anything, but it's God who causes the growth. His thorough effect of the ministry going from Jerusalem up to Italy is only attributed to the glory of God. And therefore, he is worthy of boasting in because of what has happened. So personal ministry, it is a gift of God's grace. It must be grounds for boasting in God. But third, the third trait that we must have in our self-sacrificing ministry ambition is personal ministry must be your ambition. It says, and in this way, I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another's foundation. Now, we will come back to this in a few minutes. So, let's move on to number four. But we do know that personal ministry must be your ambition. So, number four, personal ministry must be your priority. Personal ministry must be your priority. And I want us to look at verse 22 for this. It says, For this reason, I have often been prevented from coming to you. Now, what is it that has prevented Paul from coming to, Jeru- I mean, to, to Rome? What has been, been preventing him from doing this? What he has just been talking about I've I've been hindered because I was concentrating on fulfilling my gospel-given, grace-filled ministry from God to me of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, to those who have not heard it before. And I have, up to this point, been focusing on from Jerusalem to Illyricum, and it is now fulfilled. But why is it fulfilled? Because I have been focusing on it. I did not take the time to take the sidetrack, even though I had gotten to Illyricum. I got to the top of your boot. But I did not go on to Rome because my focus, my priority, was on the ministry that God had given me. Even though he was on the doorstep of Rome, His priority and focus was fulfilling the ministry that God had given to him. So his hindrance was not some outside force pushing on him. His hindrance was his ambition to fulfill the ministry that God had given him. I was prevented because my ministry was my priority rather than taking my detour. Paul chose the ministry over taking the detour to see the believers in Rome. That is what had actually um, hindered him from going. And this is, this is actually similar to what we see in the book of Nehemiah. In Nehemiah chapter 6, and, and if you remember, Nehemiah had come back and was building the wall around Jerusalem. 
And there's this bad character in there. Um, <laughs> Nehemiah has, has a man named Sanballat who hates the work that he's doing. He's opposed and is opposing the ministry. And Sanballat actually calls a peace truce, said, you know, they've been... Um, pushing against the ministry, I mean, the work that Nehemiah is doing, trying to stop it. And, and he actually had um, conspired, we're going to actually trick him to coming down to talk peace, but we're going to kill him in the process. So we're going to bring him down. Nehemiah didn't know, of course, you know, the, the backstory. But Sanballat had called Nehemiah to come down, let's talk peace, which would be a good thing. Nehemiah 6, verse 3, listen to Nehemiah's response to Sanballat. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should I stop work while I leave and come to you? So this is the same idea that we see with Paul, where Nehemiah saw his ministry of building the walls as great work. And even as good as it would be for me to go to a peace meeting, to make life easier, I'm not going to leave the great to go for good. In our ministry, our ministry is great work. And personal ministry must be our priority if we are to be following in the footsteps of Paul. Personal ministry must be our priority. So, Personal ministry, number one, is a gift of grace. Personal ministry must be grounds for boasting in God. Personal ministry must be your ambition. Personal ministry must be your priority. And number five, personal ministry must be strategic. Verse 23, read with me. But now... With no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, so I have nowhere else to go. The ministry is, or the gospel is shared everywhere. I now have nowhere else for me to go. So now, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope passing through to see you and to be helped on my way there um, by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. So why Spain? Why Spain? <laughs> we have somewhere else, so, so much further, um, anywhere you could go in, in the Roman Empire. But he likely sees Spain as being the fulfillment of Scripture. I want to read to you Isaiah 66, verse 19. So Isaiah 66 19, and this might be an example of why Paul has made it his ambition to go to Spain. It says, I will set a sign among them and will send those who have escaped from them to the nations Tarshish, Put, Lud, Meshech, Tubal, and Javan to the distant coastlands that have neither heard my report nor seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among the nations. There are distant 
coastlands who have never seen, heard my report or seen my glory, and they will declare my glory among those nations. And Spain is that distant coastland. That's as far out as you can get on the western frontier of the Roman Empire. Paul hopes to go to Rome strategically on his way to Spain. That is his ministry priority, taking it where the gospel has not been given. And what is he going to do there? I'm going to go to you to gain your ministry support. It's not, I've gotten half of my calling done. Now now I'll take some time off. It's I've got half of my calling done. Now I'm going to continue in my calling and I'm going to strategically come by you because my priority is my ministry and you're going to be able to help me and send me to fulfill the calling on my life from God. We're going to gain their ministry support and I'm also going to take some rest. I'm going to catch my breath. I will spend time with you. It's not that we're going to run until we drop. But it's saying, I will take time and be with you, enjoy your time, but understand, this is going to be strategic. I'm coming so that I can continue going on and you can help me. Personal ministry, however it looks, is strategic. We don't go through life hoping and praying that God will just plop people into our lives that will allow us to fulfill our ministry. We use strategy and we are um, strategic in how we go about fulfilling our personal ministries. Number six, at the same time though, personal ministry must not be too narrow. Notice what he says. But now, before I go to you, and on to Spain, I'm going to Jerusalem to serve the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to share with the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have completed this... And have put my seal on the fruits of theirs, I will go by way of you to Spain. Now, there's actually a lot in this chapter or in this paragraph that we can dig out. But for our study, what I want us to point to is Paul's ministry, even though it is strategic and pointed in fulfilling what he does, he is not a one trick pony. He basically has this. Um, this uh, ministry that he has been fulfilling in his entire third missionary journey has basically been fulfilling this. He has been going and gathering a collection from among the Gentile churches and is bringing those now to Jerusalem. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem having collected everything. Um, he's not saying the one thing that I do is Gentile um, proclamation to those who don't hear. He also has his head up and is involved in other areas of ministry. And that's not saying it's not um, purposeful and it's not strategic, but it is saying that the ministry involves more than just this one thing that I do. If you were to put this just in the context of, the, of a local church, you could say the ministry is more than, oh, my ministry is the nursery. 
or my ministry is preparing for... Um, Ladies, we love you. Thank you for the coffee that you prepared in the morning. We need that. But it's, it's more than just that. Or my ministry is student ministry. Or my ministry, our ministries encompass more than just one thing. We may have a passion that burns in our hearts, that points us in a direction, but don't let that be the one thing that you do in the church, thinking I'm now released from anything else. Even Paul, who was focused on bringing the gospel to the Gentiles, he also had significant effort within his own ministry of bringing that financial gift to Jerusalem. And he was putting his stamp on that before he continued on with his main ministry and calling, which was bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. So lastly, though, I want to look at the point that personal ministry must be corporate ministry. In verse 29, it says, And I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brothers... By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find rest in your company. Now may the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Verse 30, I urge you, brothers, strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Our ministry, it must involve the prayer support of the body towards us, and it must involve praying for others in their ministries. And it involves the personal connection when at all possible. It says, so that I may come to you. There is this desire to be with them in the ministry and find rest in your company. So there's, there's this idea, even with those who are in Rome, that they are brought together in the ministry, in the service that Paul is doing. But here's what's great, and I love this, because in chapter 16, if you look at that chapter, we now have a huge laundry list of people that are listed out, and these are many, many, many names of people that are in a church that he has never been to. If you think of this, Paul hasn't ever been to Rome. And he has seen some of these people, such as Phoebe, who's carrying the letter with him. There's Prisca and, and um, Aquila. There's Epinatus, who was Paul's first convert in Asia. So some of these people he knows and has intimacy with. And then there's some... We have no idea who they are. Maybe he does know them. Maybe he's just heard of them. Maybe that they've seen them. He knows their name at least. And he also has those that he's sending their greetings to Rome. If you look the second half of that chapter 16, it's I greet you. And oh, Tertius is saying, and I greet you. I'm the one who's writing this. And there's greetings from person after person after person. The life and ministry of these believers were intimately interwoven. They knew who each other were. If you think about it, this is in first century um, the Roman Empire. There was no easy communication. 
And yet they were so intimately connected in each other's ministries, they knew who each other were. Our ministries, it must be a corporate ministry that is done by sharing our lives and ministries to one, to one another. Now, let's circle back to number three. And I really hope that our view of Paul's and our ministries are going to be shaken up a little bit. Put your seatbelts on. This is great. Read with me in verse 20 and 21. Personal ministries must be your ambition. It says, And in this way I make it my ambition to proclaim the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no declaration of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. So he is saying, let's do this. Go ahead and on your handout, right at the bottom, underneath the application, I want you to go ahead and write, I make it my ambition to, and then leave this blank. I make it my ambition to, and leave that blank. These two verses, what we're going to be doing is helping you fill in that blank. I make it my ambition to leave the blank. Here's what I want you to notice first about the ministry ambition that Paul has. Worship is the heart of ambition. Worship is the heart of ambition. In verse 20, he says, And in this way, I make it my ambition. And in this way is referring back to what he has just been speaking about, which is the personal ministry must be grounds for boasting in God. In verse 17, he says, Therefore, in Christ I have reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For we will not be bold to speak of anything except what Christ has brought about through me. So what he has just been talking about, this boasting and worshiping in God, this is the same way in which he approaches making his personal ministry an ambition in his life. So in the same way that I boast and worship in God, this is the same way that I'm going to make ministry or make my personal ministry the ambition in my life. Worship must be the heart of our ambition ministry. Is worship of God at the heart of what you do in the life of this church? Do you do what you do in order to bring glory to God? Lay your life on the altar of God in the nursery, in the Sunday school, in the preparation, in the small groups, the community groups that you're a part of, in the evangelism, in the ministry where God has placed you in your workplace. It is worship of God. 
We must understand we're not here doing our time because somebody took care of my kids, now I need to take care of theirs as well. We're not doing our time. We are worshiping God. Worship is the heart of ambition. But notice what he says in verse 2. This is mind-blowing. You are the actor of ambition. You are the actor of ambition. Verse 20, and in this way, in this heart of ministry, in this heart of worship, I make it my ambition. I make it my ambition. And this is actually one word in the Greek. The ambition, it's, it's the idea of aspire, aspiring to do something, but it's with a focus on rendering service. So when he says, I make it my ambition, this is present tense. This was not something that I did and chose, but presently, right now, I am making it my ambition. But here's what's neat. The way that this is set up, it is an action that he is doing to himself. So literally, when, when you're reading, I make it my ambition, he's saying, I am um, ambitioning myself. Paul is the one who is determining in the spirit of worship of God, I am going to make myself ambitious in my ministry that I have been given. I am ambitioning myself. Paul is the one who is doing this to himself. It's not this outside thing that is pouring onto me and I can't even control, and control it. Even though I don't want to, I must serve. It's not that idea. It is saying in the heart of worship, in this way, I am going to ambition myself to fulfill my ministry. Paul was fanatical about fulfilling his gospel ministry. In 1 Corinthians 9, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. All things. So that I may become a fellow partaker of it. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. If there was only one prize that was available, you run in your ministry as though you are going to win. Now, everyone who competes in games exercises self-control of all things. They then do it to receive a corruptible crown a wreath that will rot and decay. But we, an incorruptible, meaning how much more should we work than even, even the Olympic athletes or the Isthmian game athletes here. Verse 26, Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air. This idea of shadow boxing. That's not how I live my ministry. 
But I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. I am going to win that incorruptible crown. I will be the winner. Paul, if you think of this, is mind-blowingly focused on his personal ministry of reaching the Gentiles. Here's the most important part, though. Paul, who was blinded, he was knocked off his horse by Christ. He made it his ambition for this ministry. I'm going to ambition myself. He imposes this upon himself to pursue it. He is the actor in, in response to worship of God. So the question that I would ask, though, is what does Paul give as the basis of this focus and drive in his ministry? Is it the fact that God called him and saved him while he was on his way to imprison and kill the believers? And God said, I'm going to show you grace by saving your life and bringing you to be my minister? That is not the ambition that Paul gives. Look in verse 20. I'm sorry, 21. He says, but as it is written... They who had no declaration of him shall see him, and they who have not heard shall understand. Paul doesn't attribute his miraculous conversion and call of Christ as the reason why he is pursuing with such tenacity his personal ministry. Paul was riveted by Scripture. Paul was, Paul was gripped by the word of God to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. In, in Isaiah, he's quoting from Isaiah 52. This is right before Isaiah 53. This is the fourth servant song in Isaiah. It's talking about the Messiah. And so, when, when read, read here, it says, um, Paul read that they who had no declaration of him shall see the him is Christ. And they who have not heard shall understand God's word had so gripped Paul that he was compelled to ambition himself for the work to fulfill the word of God. And we see this elsewhere in Paul's ministry. It was not... The miraculous, therefore, making Paul's ministry different from ours. It was the clear word of God that Paul read and said, I must make it my ambition to be obedient to God's word. And therefore, I make it my ambition. This was the same way that Paul and Barnabas in Acts 13, when they were responding, having been rejected by the Jews and kicked out of the synagogue, how did he respond? Well, 
we're going to go to the Gentiles. Why? Not because you kicked us out, but because in, in Acts 13, 47, it says, For so the Lord has commanded us, and he quotes Scripture. I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. We are now leaving you because I have been commanded by God in the Old Testament prophecies that the Gentiles at the end of the earth are going to hear the gospel of Christ. That is my command upon me. I must make it my ambition to bring the gospel to those who don't know. Paul and Barnabas saw their ministry as obedience to God's word that had been given to them. Do you see the call of God in the word of God with the same way that Paul sees it? Do you see the call of Christ and ministry to him when you read God's word. If not, obey what Pastor Randy called us to last week. We pour ourselves into the word in prayerful meditation and we pray, God, I need to know what am I to do in ministry and service to you. Prayerfully pull into the Pour yourself into the Word of God so that we can have the Holy Spirit speak to us and show us, what am I to do today? If you don't know what to do, let me open up one passage. Ephesians 4, verse 11. From, from 11 through 16, you... Not the pastors, not the elders. You are the ones in the body who are called to do the work of ministry in the body. From Ephesians 4, you are the one who is called to build up the body of Christ to maturity. You are the one. You are the one who makes the body strong being held together and knit together by you. You are the one who God has called to prepare the body to withstand against false doctrine. That is you. Those are your jobs. It's not the elders and the pastors while we come and show up. It's yours and it's mine. This verse is what drives me. I don't want to hold that to myself. I want to share that with you. This verse is what drives Larry King. This is his verse. Dexter May, our missionary who we've sent with his beautiful family to Uganda. His verse is Colossians 1, 28 and 29. Him we proclaim, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, I labor, striving according to his working, which he worked in me in power. 
That's Dexter's verse that grabbed his heart. I know men who are driven by 2 Timothy 2.2. And the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will teach others also. We have people that are gripped by James 1.27. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their distress. And to keep oneself unstained by the world. I know men who are gripped by 2 Timothy 4.2, where it says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Rebuke, reprove, exhort with great patience and teaching. Be in the word. Let the word of God have its effect in you so that you may be thoroughly equipped for every good word. Let it convict you. Let it drive your ambition to fulfill the role that God has for you. Like Paul said, I in the same way exhort you, worship God by ambitioning yourself to make it your ambition to obey and fulfill the word of God and his call that he has called you to. Obey and fulfill scripture by serving the body of Christ with your personal ministry. In 2023, commit before God that you are going to have a personal ambition and ministry and service to his body. I do not know what grip, what will grip your heart. I don't know where in his word he will captivate you, but I know he has called you to do what Paul has done and to read his word and make it your ambition to forsake all in pursuit of obeying the word of God in your life. Lay your life upon the altar of God. Present your body to him as a sacrifice. Let's pray. God, it is by your grace that we are who we are. Father, may in your grace, may you use each of us to do the work of ministry in your body. Oh, Father, find me faithful. Find us faithful to make it our ambition to obey you. Pray this in your son's name. Amen.